All right. Well, today, actually, we are starting Lost and Found today. So uh, we're grateful that you are here with us. Thank you for joining us online as well. And before we jump into the talk, I want to uh, do a few things. Uh, first of all, remind you that our Brave membership track that we're doing is happening today. So if you signed up for that, we already have lunch prepared for you. And, uh, and that's going to happen in the church offices after service is over. People have asked what time. Again, it's 1230. Uh, we'll meet over there at the church offices. And uh, over the next few weeks, we are doing this uh, all together. So if you have not signed up and you want to sign up for this Brave membership, track that we're doing. Uh, you can do that on your communication card, which is on your seat. You can let us know, and we'll make sure we're going to be doing it today. We're also doing it next Sunday, and we're doing it the following Sunday, so the 27th of March and the April 3rd. All at the same time, child care is provided and lunch is provided as well. And so uh, excited for all of you who have signed up. We have a lot of you signed up, so we're excited about that. So thank you for participating and be willing to commit to one another as the local church. And if you want to learn more about membership, then go to listen to my message last week. And that's all I have to say about that uh, because I said a lot of it last week. So um, also I want to celebrate something. And uh, we had these stories written uh, to our church to celebrate our church anniversary a couple of weeks back. And I just thought I'd read some of these occasionally to you uh, because maybe you didn't get a chance to read them. And so here's a, a, one of the stories of an individual in our church family. And it said, I saw the sign for Brave near Publix, so I thought I'll try going. And so I just want to say thank you for all of you who put on our signs. Um, you know, they do work. <laughs> and yeah, I know it doesn't seem like a lot, but I'm telling you, when you're out there and cars are zooming by, you're that weird guy running or weird lady running, putting signs and running back and people behind you honking their horn. It's working, amen? And so uh, it says, I tried going, even though I had tried about three different churches. From the people in the parking lot, they made me feel welcome. So thank you to our First Impressions team. Thank you so much. It says, once inside, I was welcomed by a lot of people. I have never experienced anything like that before. The first sermon, I thought Pastor Ricky was talking to me. I told somebody the other day, I, we actually put chips in you every time you're here. And then you leave, we watch you everywhere you go. Okay. Uh, it says, uh, so... Uh, I hung on every word and even started taking notes. Amen. And uh, because of the people in Pastor Ricky, I knew I found a home. I started feeling like I was really growing in my faith. And so we just want to say, man, we're so glad to have you here and so thankful for those who uh, do this. And that was from Bernie. And uh, so thank you. Uh, praise God. Amen. And so, all right. Um, as a quick reminder to the parents, we start our youth ministry tonight, so be in prayer for us as a church family, 6th grade through 12th grade, that starts tonight as well, and I'm super excited about that. I will be there helping lead that, along with some others, and Cameron's helping us out, and some other people are there, and so if you have a 6th student, 6th grade through 12th grade, uh, we're going to be meeting tonight at the church offices at 6.30 until 8 p.m., and so uh, get rid of your students and send them over to us. We'll be glad to have them. All right. Well, open your Bibles up. We're going to be, uh, start off with Job 19.25, or if you have your notes, you can take your notes in front of you, and in case your pen doesn't work, it does. It just has a little plastic piece on the end of it. You just have to kind of pull it off because they're brand new, and so that way, if you are taking notes, you, you, your pen isn't messed up. All right, so today, uh, we're beginning this new series called Lost and Found, and I titled the message something that I, I knew that you would never forget, When God Redeems a Prostitute. And I put the word in, and I was debating, do I talk about prostitution? And I thought, well, I guess I need to. And if anything, it'll be sticky, and you won't forget what the, hopefully the message was today. So, when God redeems a prostitute. Job 19.25. We have a lot to get through, so I'm going to uh, do my best to be at a pace that hopefully uh, you won't lose track of this. So, it says, for I know that my Redeemer lives, and he shall 
stand at last on the earth, and after my skin is destroyed, this I know, that in my flesh I shall see God, whom I shall see for myself, and my eyes shall behold, and not another, how my heart yearns within me. That's from Job, and he says, I know my Redeemer lives. I want to talk to you about this word, Redeemer. The word Redeemer in Hebrew is the word Gael or Goel, and it's pronounced Gaal, if you would pronounce it, I think, the correct way. Some people spell it G-O apostrophe E-L. And originally, the word redeemer was a word that was used in a patriarchal society. It was not a biblical word at its origin. It was a word that was used in the time period of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, which is somewhere around 2000 BC or so. And in this time period, which is referred to as the age of the patriarchs, the idea of redeem was birthed. Redeem in this society uh, meant something pretty incredible. And I think when you get an understanding of what it meant in the society, then you kind of have a better understanding of why God used it in his word in this time period as it was written. So a patriarch means a father or ruler. That's what a patriarch was. A patriarch was the father of a family. So maybe imagine sitting at a long table and there's a grandfather sitting at the head of the table, right? And to help you understand what a redeemer was in this patriarchal society, um, I think it's good to show you a picture of their homes, because all of this is going to help us understand what it means when we say that God is our Redeemer. Our Redeemer lives. All right, so I'm going to show you a couple of pictures of these homes. I think we have them up. There's one. This might give you some idea of what a patriarchal society home may have looked like. Now, in time of Abraham, they're nomadic, so these are tents. They don't necessarily have stone. A lot of times they would have tents, but still you see a wall on the outside. And you see these kind of a courtyard, if you would imagine, and then you have this house with some roof kind of over it that provides shade. And in this type of a home, you'd have oftentimes, you know, a family, two, three families, sometimes even up to 40 people living in this home as all family and cousins and all of that. And in charge of this home was the patriarch, this father, this ruler. I think we have another slide as well that kind of gives you, this is inside of the house. You can see some sitting area there where they would sit and take shade and uh, make whatever they needed to make to make a living and sewing and baking and all the hard labor that goes into providing for the family. And so this is, gives you some context to uh, what a patriarch is. And so, Phil, would you come up here for just a minute? He doesn't know I'm inviting him up, but I am, because Phil's going to be our father for a minute. He's going to be our patriarch. So, Phil, I just figured you sit right there. So let's just imagine to give you some context to this. Hey, he is the patriarch. You're the father. Is this my I don't know. <laughs> okay. So let's imagine for a minute um, that Phil is the leader of the family, and we are his children or his family, his cousins, and we're all kind of, this is like the grandfather of the table. Now, in this society, we, this is the house we live in, and his job is to manage all of us. And this is exactly how it would have worked in this time period. So you get the context of what a patriarch or what a redeemer is. 
So his responsibility for us is to make sure that we're all taken care of. So thank you, Phil, for taking care of us, meeting all of our needs. Our job is to contribute to the family. So Rick, you go out and you do some work that day, and some of the ladies or men go out and do some hunting and do some sewing and do some knitting and whatever we do, and we go sell things and all that kind of stuff. And then we, whatever we bring in financially even, and whatever we bring in from animals or uh, sheep or goat, whatever we bring in, we give it to the patriarch, and then the, the father uh, takes all of that. You enjoying that so far? Sounds good to me. Give, yeah. And then his responsibility is then to take all of those resources and then meet all of our needs as we need them. Does that make sense? This is the role of the patriarch. Now, another part of his job, which you might be up for, is if one of us is out that day and we get uh, beaten up by somebody, we get uh, taken away, we get kidnapped, we uh, get eaten or by a wolf, or I don't know, I mean, we get in trouble, we uh, step on things that are sharp, and one of your children one of your family members is lost, his responsibility is to go out and bring us back into the house, okay? Into this house that we live in, which is called the Father's House. I think we have maybe a slide up or later on we will read this to you. Beth Ab is the way you would say it, but uh, this Father's House, the house of the Father. And so that's his role is to bring us back in if we are in need. So one of us hurt, one of us is captured. He sends somebody in here to go get Damon. So you got to send Rick to go get Damon. What happened to Damon? Now, if one of these are lost and you don't recognize it, then you're not a good dad, you know? So that's a big responsibility, if you can think about it, because he's got to watch all of his family and make sure they're all taken care of. We find two words in Scripture. Here's an example of this father's house, Exodus 6.14. It says, these are the heads of their father's houses. It's this Hebrew word, Bethab, meaning the father's house or the house of the fathers. And so the job of the father is to do whatever it takes to bring whatever and whoever that is lost back into the family. This is the picture of redeem. Now, let's say, for example, that Rick, I, you know, you're on the front row, so I'm going to choose you because you got a white shirt, and so I do... You're standing out to me. So Rick decides that uh, we have some land. You, you own some land uh, over there in uh, Land Lakes, a little far away. We have some land over there too, Dad. You, you own some property over there. You worked hard for it, and you're, you're keeping all that straight. But Rick, in his, um, he, he just did something foolish, and uh, he, he, he decided to bet some land over in Land Lakes that he could beat a guy in running, and he lost, and he's lost the land. I don't know. Does that make sense? He, he's lost the property. So now all of us are, boo, Rick, you lost all the property. And, and, and man, we, we, we don't have as much. We just lost all of this. You, you lost the property. His job is to go redeem the property, is to buy it back. If it's a person, it's to bring them back. It's to take ownership of that and bring that back into the Father's house. That is what it means to be a redeemer. We'll define it this way, redeemer, to take someone who is outside the house and do whatever it takes to bring them back home. Now, here's the really uh, interesting part, cool part, that matters to you and me for sure. When the patriarch dies, so get off the stage, Leaf, you dead. <laughs> when the patriarch dies, all right, and I'm not going to bring anybody up here now because you'll see why in just a minute. Um, the oldest son becomes the new leader 
and he gets the resources, and now he gets the responsibility for taking care of the family, which was something the family would celebrate and be excited about. So I'm super excited that somebody else is stepping up, and they're taking all of dad's resources, and they're going to be able to utilize those resources, again, to bring the lost and provide and take care of and watch over us and bring us back in when we do get lost. With that in mind, let's read what Moses wrote in Exodus 4. And the Lord said to Moses, when you go back to Egypt, see that you do all these wonders before Pharaoh, which I have put in your hand, but I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. Then you shall say to Pharaoh, thus says the Lord, Israel is my son, my firstborn. Now, who gets the resources from the patriarch who's died? The firstborn. The firstborn son. The oldest son. Jesus is not the firstborn. Israel, the nation, is the firstborn. And that matters. Now, Jesus is the son of God, the only begotten son. But I want you to notice what God does through this nation of Israel. This is important. Here we have Israel being called God's firstborn son. In other words, God was saying, Israel, I'm giving you my resources to redeem those who are lost. Think about that. What a blessed nation. That's why Israel matters. If you are into the end times with all that's happening in the world right now, pay attention to Israel more than you pay attention to anything else because that's what matters the most, I'm telling you. Israel. What an honor, Israel, that Moses was given to go and redeem this nation. Isn't that what he was being sent to do? To go and set the Israelites free out of slavery? To redeem them? So what is God saying? Moses, now go And redeem these people. And I'm providing you with my resources to do so. Go, bring them back into my family. These are my children. This is my nation. These are my people. I am their father. I am their God. So now Israel is God's chosen people. So it makes sense to redeem them. But who else does God want to redeem? Is it just his nation? That makes sense. So let's go God's people. I think the book of Hosea gives us some great insight into who God wants to redeem. And if you have your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Hosea. Just flip over to your right and kind of keep going to almost the very end of the Old Testament. We'll put it up on the screen as well. It's in your notes. And this is where the title of today's message comes from. When the Lord began to speak through Hosea, the prophet, the Lord said to him, Go marry a promiscuous woman and have children with her. For like an adulterous wife, the land is guilty of unfaithfulness to the Lord. So he married Gomer, daughter of Deblame, and she conceived and bore him a son. Would later on have two more children. A promiscuous woman. The word promiscuous is pronounced zana. It's not zanoa, it's zana. Adulterer, fornicator, and prostitute. How about that for a wife? Amen, men? That sounds good. Any dad in here want to tell their son that? Okay, no hands, no participation. All right. Hosea is a prophet. 
of God, called by God to marry a prostitute. I know. Some of you right now are thinking that cannot possibly be true in the Bible, which is an indicator you haven't read your Bible. All right. And he does. All right, Dad? Sounds good. And they have three children. Possibly not all his. And that's true. It's not a joke. We find out she goes back after marrying this woman. Eventually she ends up going back to her old lifestyle, her old ways. This is a picture, and I want you to see it now so you begin to see it unfold. We're talking about Redeemer to bring back into my house. So, Hosea, I want you to go and bring in Gomer and bring her into the family. This is a picture, even though it's literal. But it's a picture, nonetheless. And she is a part of that family. But due to the sin in her heart and desires of her heart, whatever past that she may have encountered, she falls away. She decides to leave the family. She gets lost in sin again. And she goes back to her old ways again. Time and time. If you go read through the Old Testament, you see the nation of Israel who was redeemed out of slavery and then eventually leave God and start to worship other gods. You see the parallel? All right. So what does God tell Hosea? Leave her out. She left me. That's her fault. That's her decision. Forget about her. She's outside of my house. That was her choice. She left. No. Find out that God does something entirely different. He says in the message translation, which I thought would really help bring some better understanding to this. So, Hosea 3, verses 1 through 3. Then God ordered me, this is Hosea, Start all over. Love your wife again. Your wife, who's in bed with the latest boyfriend, your cheating wife, love her the way I, God, love the Israelite people. Even as they flirt and party with every God that takes their fancy. I did it. I paid Good money to get her back. And it cost me the price of a slave. Then I told her, from now on, you are living with me. No more whoring. No more sleeping around. You're living with me and I'm living with you. He sends Hosea to buy back his bride. Can you imagine having to go in front of people who know that's your wife 
and then purchase your wife back. So you give money to the man who's taken your wife. The humiliation that you would have to experience in that moment. The ridicule, the mockery. For the rest of Hosea's life, he's going to walk with Gomer in his arms and everyone's going to know around him. There goes Gomer, who hooked up with everybody in town. And he had to buy her back. What an idiot. I know. You're thinking, I'm going to go home and read this again because this possibly can't be biblical teaching. It is. There's a great, great lesson in this for you and for me. He goes back and he buys his wife who cheated on him. And he pays the debt. Pays the money. And he brings her back into the family. Question. What does this tell you about how God sees those outside his house? What does this tell you? And there's a little blank line I left in your notes for you so that you could think about this for a minute. And I want you to participate. I invite you to. Go ahead, like, just think about it. And maybe, you know, just like take a minute. What does this really tell you about how God sees prostitutes? How does God see strippers? How do you see them? How does God see them? How do you see homeless people? How does God see them? How do you see rapists? How does God see them? How do you see adulterers? How does God see him? How do you see rebellious people? How does God see them? How does God see the coworker you hate? How do you see him? What does this teach us about God? That's why we gather today, right? To grow in our knowledge of God. What does this tell us about him? Well, when the Father in heaven sees prostitutes, drug addicts, and criminals. I'll tell you what he doesn't see. Messed up people to stay away from. You know what he sees? Children are in trouble. Children who are still in debt. 
they don't know their debt has been paid. They're still a slave to their sin. And they don't know that they can be freed from it. And it breaks his heart. And so what does he say to the nation of Israel, his firstborn son? What does he say to Hosea the prophet? Go. Redeem them. Tell them the debt has been paid. Don't go and condemn them. Go tell them that I've paid the debt. Go tell them. there will be a day that you will live with me no more sin the debt has been paid Peter writes this 1 Peter 2 24 he says he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. For you were like sheep going astray. But now you have returned to the patriarch, the father, the shepherd, the overseer, of your souls. So God says what? Go. Go and tell them the debt has been paid. Go tell them that my stripes have healed their wounds. Let them know that the pain they feel today will surely be gone at some point. And there will be a day there will be no more weeping and there will be a day no more pain and there will be a day no more suffering. In no way, by the way, if you've ever been abused or hurt or something like that by somebody who's done something to you, am I saying to you that God, you know, Excuses that, it's okay with that. No, no, no. What I am saying is, hurt people hurt people. And when you see somebody who's hurting other people, I don't think God sits there and just condemns them. According to text, he doesn't come to condemn, he comes to save. No, actually, I've come to set you free. And what I see is the hurt inside of you. And I want that removed from you so that it doesn't continue on. And I want to take that from you. Again, does God see these people? Let me ask you this, because I know you have never done anything that I've just mentioned, or anything like it. Does God see you?
He says, go and tell them that I paid the debt. So the father's question for you and for me today is this. It's the same question he gave to Israel. It's the same thing he wanted Moses to do. It's the same thing he told Hosea to do. It's the same, Jesus, the same thing Jesus Christ told his followers and his disciples to do. The question that God is asking us today and every day is, will you help me bring my lost children home? Will you tell them that their Redeemer lives? I want to invite the band forward. And as they come forward, um, I want to invite you to do something. Would you just close your eyes where you are? Just take a minute here. Just, if you would, just please participate. If you're watching online, just, just if you're not driving, please don't close your eyes. But if everybody else, if you want, you can just close your eyes. If you're in your living room or somewhere, just close your eyes for a minute. And uh, the band's going to play a little bit here. And I want you to just take a moment in the presence of God. And I want to invite you to um, think about this terminology in our world. I was talking about it over dinner last night with my family. And I want you to consider this term that we use in our culture. Okay, ready? In our culture, we've often heard of this term maybe. It's called the black sheep. black sheep in the family. By definition, when you look it up, (laughs) it's the one who's deemed, they're deemed, that's a key word, they're deemed a disgrace to the family. They're in the margins, they're outside. Who are the black sheep in your world? Drug addicts, prostitutes, homeless, weird people, coworkers you don't like, family members you don't like. Just who are the black sheep? Who are the ones that you have counted as lost? Man, they are messed up. They are lost. Maybe it's even you. Maybe it's you. Maybe you're lost. That's okay. No judgment here. Consider now how God sees you. Regardless of whatever you have done in your life, he sends others out to bring you back into his family. He sees them the same way. Regardless of what they've done, every criminal that sits in a prison cell today, his children, And he yearns for them to come home into his family. How does God see them? How does God see you? Okay, now open your eyes and let me show you how God sees them. Final passage, Exodus 18. 
We'll read straight through it. The Lord appeared to Abraham near the great trees of memory, I guess. While he was sitting at the entrance to his tent in the heat of the day, Abraham looked up and he saw three men standing nearby. And when he saw them, he hurried from the entrance of his tent. Remember, this is nomadic. I showed you the house a minute ago. And he goes to meet them and he bows low to the ground. These are strangers. These are people he's never met in his life. Verse 3, he said, If I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, not being a Lord, but Lord, common language, do not pass your servant by. Let a little water be brought, and then may you all you wash your feet and rest under this tree. Look what he was willing to do for a stranger. Make a meal and wash their feet. Verse 5, let me get you something to eat so that you can be refreshed and then go on your way. Now that you have come to your servant, very well, then they answered, do as you say. So Abraham hurried into the tent, Sarah, his wife. Quick, he said, get three seahs of finest flour and knead it and bake some bread. Then he ran to the herd and he selected a choice tender calf. And he gave it to the servant who hurried and prepared it. He then brought some curds and milk and the, the calf that had been prepared and set these before them. And while they ate, he stood near and under this tree. So Abraham, is an old man, takes off running in his robe, which in context of this society was shameful. How an old man would take off running towards a stranger, people that are outside of his house. He's going to care for people who are outside of his house. And then he washes their feet. And he prepares this great meal. In addition to that, he's in pain. Because if you read Exodus 17, he's just been circumcised. Seriously. That's painful. I would imagine. At an old age. So here you have a man who's just had surgery... He gets up in his robe in pain and he takes off running for people who are outside of his house. And when they come into his house, he says, bake the best bread you've ever baked in your life. Now say three seahs. Say three seahs. Do you know what a seah is? This is consistent with about 60 to 75 pounds of bread. How many of you ladies have ever baked bread in your life? Okay. Not many. Well, I'm letting you know my wife bakes bread. She bakes bread. Homemade bread. And it's like a little tiny loaf and it takes hours. Can you imagine trying to 75 pounds of dough? He says, get to work. And then he washes their feet and he says, get the filet mignon. Strangers, outsiders, marginalized, have entered our house. Wash their feet. Get the good stuff. Jesus actually uses this story in Matthew 13. He says, he told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into about 60 pounds, uh, pounds of flour until it worked all through the dough. You know what he's teaching his followers, teaching you and me today? You want to know what the kingdom of God is like? It's like the woman 
who put the bread together. You know the story, Abraham. That's what the kingdom of God is like. A bunch of lost people brought into the Father's house, and when they get home, I prepare a great meal for my children, and I celebrate because they're home. They were lost, and now they're found. Man. He used the same number. Why? 60 pounds of flour to teach us something about him and his kingdom. In his kingdom, he does all he can to bring his lost children home. And the question for us and his followers, how much flour will you prepare? How hard are you willing to work to bring the lost home? Whose feet are you willing to wash? For your neighbor, for the homeless, for the unborn, for the prostitute, for the drug addict, for the black sheep, for the co-worker no one likes. The calling on Israel and the calling on us is go. Go bring the lost back into the Father's house. And don't worry about what to say. I'll give you the words. Just go and tell them their Redeemer lives. I want you to know this is not about salvation alone. It's not about just getting people saved. No question, salvation is important. It's about bringing them back into the family. It's much bigger than just being saved and going to heaven. It's no, come home to the family. God has paid the debt.